Welcome to Planet Geo, the podcast where we talk about our amazing planet, how it works, and why it matters to you. Oh, well, I can see I've got fun, Chris, today. <laughs> Happy, Chris. You always have fun, Chris. Always have them. How you doing, Jesse Rymank? Oh, Christopher Boys, we're back at it after a long time. We, oh, it's been a minute. This, I think, is our longest break, isn't it? I haven't seen you in a long time, and... You know, I missed you, you, man. You, uh, I missed you too. You haven't improved though. <laughs> no, I'm looking at you right now. This, and <laughs> the summer has done me dirty the, here a little bit. It's not, has not improved me. The field took its toll. Oh, I'll tell you the that. Field, yeah. I got COVID. The whole thing, you know, just took its toll. But you know, it's all good. Hey, because it's been a while, Jesse. Let's do some intros. Let's do it. You are Chris Bullheis, my former high school teacher, high school earth science teacher extraordinaire from the great state of Michigan. You taught me. Uh, ninth grade earth science, uh, geology, basically advanced placement geology. Um, another class that I really didn't do much in, I think. And field course. Oh, come on. Now that's not true. That course. is not true. <laughs> well, my independent study, you know, I did a few things. That hurt just a little bit right there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, I was going to say a lot of good things about you, but you're Dr. Jesse Rymank. You went to Hope College, got your bachelor's in geology, and then you went to the University of Alberta in Canada and got your PhD in geoscience. And now you, I don't know, somehow you landed a great job <laughs> at one of the premier geology schools in the country, Penn State University. So that's awesome. I, I do have to say, first of all, yeah, you learned a lot in geology, but you're right. You didn't do much because you, you were more like a bump on a log than anything else. I mean, <laughs> I, I seriously had to check your pulse to make sure you were still with me. I did that a lot. I think. Yeah. I, I do remember that. So, yeah. There's a lot yeah. of pulse checking. You had on. no personality back then. I don't know what happened, but now were, I'm not shy anymore. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's true. That's so, true. Like we alluded to, it's been a while since we've sat down and recorded, and we've both had pretty, dare I say, adventurous summers out there in the field. Yeah, but hold on. Before we jump into that, though, you had something else you wanted to talk about. Oh, yeah, that that's right. On. Good. So yeah, yeah, you, you totally. First? We updated our website. So before we get into what we're talking about today, we updated our website. We also added in a donation support us link. And uh, so you can go there, you can check out our website, planetgeocast.com, and uh, you can support us. We're not making any money on Planet Geo, and we're just uh, burning money. And so help us not burn as much money doing this, I guess, would be the exercise. You know, donate or don't, it doesn't really matter to us, but uh, we like to support. We've had a couple already, and we really, really appreciate it. So uh, planetgeocast.com, it's a mostly updated website there, and stay tuned to that space. There'll be some more stuff coming at you in the next month, probably. Uh, yeah, we do. Jesse and I, we've been working really hard on a new project that I think, if you like this, I think you're going to love that. Yeah. We're really excited about it. That should be coming out in the next month, right? Yeah, totally. We're uh, tidying up some things and it'll be a work in progress for a while, but it's coming out in the next couple weeks or a month here. So stay tuned to the podcast stream. We'll talk about that more there. But back to today, Chris, we've been I don't know, uh, adventuring out and about. We've been out. So hold on, Jesse. Let's give him a rundown about where we're going to go today. Okay. 
Yeah, okay, good good point, Chris. What do we got? I'm just too excited. I'm going to launch into stuff. I mean, <laughs> you know, just ready to launch into it. Well, first of all, you teased me a little bit before we hit record here about a very funny story about yourself that I think <laughs> we're going to get to first. I'm really excited to hear this. But what we're really talking about is that you and I have been out in the field. We've been doing geology of different kinds. You've been teaching the field course. You've been out with your family. I've been up in the Arctic Canada doing field work. And so we're going to kind of summarize that a little bit, talk about what we saw. And then we also had several people reach out via Facebook, emails, Instagram, and sort of ask about mineral identification or commonly confused minerals. So we didn't have a lot of time to put together a a huge episode on just that. And this is a huge topic. So we're just going to go kind of off the cuff, right, Chris? Like what's on the top of our head when people say, what are the commonly confused minerals? And we're just going to briefly summarize a couple of them. Is that a fair summary? You bet. We're going to do a much more detailed thing on this. We need to really like do something with, all right, how do you identify rocks in the field? And that's a hard thing. It's complicated. We're going to tackle that coming up in the next, well, little while. Yeah. And it's a huge, I mean, it's a lifetime of learning how to identify rocks and minerals in the field, but we can give a bit of a guide. So we'll sort of lead into that a little bit, but Chris, I'm itching to hear (laughs) what happened today. So, um, (laughs) today was the last day that we had, uh, you know, we're back to school now. So we're back in the grind. You and I are kind of easing our way back in the routine, right? We had some students in the building today just doing an orientation. It was the freshmen, you know, so they're young kids and so on. And we start on Monday with everybody's there. Okay. Full on now. But so I'm walking around the corner. Okay. Now I got to set the stage because now everybody knows what I look like. I'm 50 years old. I have a goatee. It's mostly, (laughs) it's mostly white. And very bald. Um, Very, very, very bald. You know, very bald. uh, Yeah. I shaved my head. Yep. That's right. That's right. Um, and, And so I walk around the corner and a kid who's walking next to another teacher, looks up at me, his eyes light up, and he says, Grandpa Gort? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Oh, that is so good. Oh, a nickname has been established for eternity here. Grandpa Gort. I know. Grandpa Gort. Yeah. I looked, uh, I'm like, excuse me. What? And he's like, oh, oh. And he recognized that I'm not his grandpa. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, this is gold dust. He said, you look just like my grandpa Gort. I'm like, oh no. This has made my week. I was having a rough, stressful week and this has made it, Chris. Oh, this is gold (laughs) dust. I got to write this down so I don't forget it. Grandpa Gort. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Grandpa Gort, uh, you know, Jesse, look, what do you do in a situation like this? Yeah. Right? I'm just going to lean into there's, it. Um, yeah, you got it. You know, there's no way out. There's no uh, so gracious way. There's no way out. I got to embrace it. <laughs> it's kind of like when you like, you know, trip on the hiking path. You just got to kind of jog it out and pretend like you didn't trip, right? Like That's right. I, and Hey, I taught you that. I taught you that. Okay. Well, you, you don't know that I did. I taught you this. <laughs> well, come on now. Okay. When those rocks reach up and grab your ankles and you start tripping, you just jog it out like you meant it to happen. That's the only way to do it. So All yeah, right. that's that's my day. Grandpa Gort. Okay. All right. Well, we'll see if we can build your ego back up here, Chris, a little bit. <laughs> okay. But All right. Well, hey, Jesse, let's get down to business. Um, let's start with you. Okay. What, what kind of cool geology, where have you been? What kind of cool geology did you see this summer that our listeners might want to hear? Yeah, well, I had a pretty good summer as far as travel goes. It was a fairly, um, well, it took a lot of organizing, but I taught our undergrad field course. Our Penn State field camp goes out. The course is six weeks total. Uh, It goes, drives from Pennsylvania all the way out to Idaho and then down to Utah. 
Um, they spend a lot of time doing a variety of different stuff. But I flew out for a week in Idaho, right by the Craters of the Moon National Monument. We looked at a metamorphic core complex and mapped some faults and some interesting rocks there. So that was one week. I also had a conference in Hawaii. Big bummer. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Saw some basalts um, and some right. beaches. So did you see red lava? I did not see red lava. I didn't have any time, unfortunately, to do any touristy stuff. I was at the conference. You know, I, I went to the beach a day. Uh, and you know, did the beach thing. And then we did a tour, a driving kind of tour, driving, hiking a little bit, but we were on the big Island and in Honolulu basically. And then the conference was the rest of the week. And then I had to head back to Pennsylvania because I was organizing a field campaign into the Arctic of Canada. And I was up there for two weeks with a PhD student who just started and a couple of colleagues way up in the Arctic circle collecting rocks from up near the Arctic coast. So that was really fun. Uh, and tiring and we got back a couple days ago so i'm recovering from that a little bit still so that was my summer really so did you collect some big old rocks from uh northwest territories oh man we took back well they're in shipping right now but probably a thousand pounds of samples and some of them are <laughs> oh did you really holy crap yeah there's like you know 25 five gallon pails of, of rocks um this is going to be a What's that cost to ship back? Well, a very small amount compared to the total cost of the field work. So we had a float plane that was flying us around collecting samples. This was in this, um, we've talked about it before, but looking for ancient diamonds in ancient sediments. So this is that project. So we we're kind of flying around sampling a bunch of different sediments, ancient sediments, and we're going to look for diamonds in them and also prospecting for really old rocks. Cool. So- I have to ask this question then. You've been a lot of different places, seen a lot of different rocks then. What's the favorite rock that you've seen this uh, this summer? Well, this was, yeah, there's no question. This was the best one. We basically, one day, we flew in this little tiny float plane. It's like a five-seater pilot plus four people. And we couldn't fit any rocks. We had four people. But three of us flew up to the Arctic coast. So we landed on the Arctic Ocean in this little bay. And... The outcrops there are ancient NICE exposures, G-N-E-I-S-S, the rocks I study. And right on the coast, there's no lichen because the sea ice scours it all away in the sea spray. doesn't allow lichen. Lichen is that biology that likes to cover up our, oh. our geology for everyone that doesn't know that. Oh, yeah. And in northern Canada, lichen is everywhere and it gets in the way of everything. And these really beautiful rocks <laughs> are covered in lichen. You can't see shit. So- on this coast, <laughs> we landed. I'll send you a picture of this, and maybe we'll share one on the social media feed here. But these rocks, this was toothpaste rock. I mean, this stuff was spectacular, like different fold patterns. It was just toothpaste. I mean, this is highly metamorphosed gneisses that are folded, bent, faulted, and we're just walking like kilometers along this Arctic coast. We had a stunningly beautiful day up there. It was like 75. It was flat, calm water. We collected samples all day. Then we took a dip in the Arctic Ocean. I mean, it was just this, it was geology porn. I mean, I described it to our float plane pilot. He was like, oh, what kind of rocks are you collecting here? I was like, well, to be honest, the last two hours, we've just been wandering around taking photos. This is geology porn. And he looked at me kind of quizzically. He's this like 65-year-old guy. He looked at me quizzically. And I was like, you know, the the rocks that get all the geologists kind of worked up. <laughs> he got a good chuckle out of that. So <laughs> <laughs> he'd never heard that. He'd before? never heard the term. No. Yeah. He's been around geologists a lot before, but, uh, anyway. Yeah. So wow, that was okay. spectacular. Um, all right. So I have a question then. Am I 
going to get one of these rocks. I don't require a big piece, but I, I feel like I deserve a, a piece. Yeah, I think you I think you might. Yeah, we'll have to we'll work something out on the side here. Yeah. We can do that. Well, okay, but I don't need your leverite, all yeah, right? Yeah, no, 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 Just, no. I, I don't, a, I, Chris, Like, I need to look, I need a good piece. I don't collect leverite anymore, man. This is serious stuff. But yeah, I mean, we've got some amazing, there's some, I, the problem is, is the scale, like the hand sample, when you have a spectacular rock, a hand sample doesn't really do it justice. Like, you need a countertop slab cut out of the outcrop, right? It was really hard to find even a big sample, like one that you could carry, that really showed the beauty and the complexity of these rocks. It just doesn't do it justice really. I get you. you. Know? Yeah. yeah. You know, you and I, we've evolved in our collecting habits. We are into massive rocks. I mean, the bigger, the better. That's, that's kind of where we're at right now. So I get it. Yep. These rocks were just stunning and it really was it, when rock is heated up to high temperature and at high pressure, it's toothpaste and it can be squished and bent and folded and deformed and it just flows like toothpaste these rock crops really showed that really well that's great i want everybody to understand how big of a deal it is for him to say this because i've got to assume that you saw some pretty spectacular pohoihoi lava flow texture in hawaii yeah we did see some there was some pretty cool stuff we didn't go to any of like the really recent eruptions but we did walk through the cliffs where you can kind of go through and you can see a cross section through the pohoihoi features yeah. describe what pohoihoi looks like a second yeah pohoihoi is this flow pattern it looks like ropey texture on top of a basalt when the lava flow erupts and the top of it the kind of skim cools so the very surface of it is cool and solidified but just underneath the surface it's still liquid or it's still lava then it kind of rolls the top pattern and you get this really ropey texture to it it's just beautiful yeah, stuff. yeah it's it's so cool it, it's spelled p-a- H-O-E-H-O-E, and it's pronounced pahoyhoy, and it's a flow texture. It's black, smooth, ropey, kind of this twisted, braided appearance. It's really a spectacular rock. And so for you to say this other one like that, that means that that's, that's pretty pretty awesome stuff. We actually saw pahoyhoy in the Craters of the Moon National Monument where we went there for a day during the field camp, and that's where you taught me a lot of stuff. I know we were driving along the Snake River Plain, and I was having flashbacks to in high school. We've talked about this before, I think. When I was sitting, I think I sat in the front of the bus. And this was the moment I really decided understanding the earth was like really just what I should do. This is a really cool thing. Because I remember we were driving from Yellowstone to Craters of the Moon National Monument through the Snake River Plain, this huge just open plain. And you were driving a big yellow bus. You're driving. Students are all in the back, two to a seat, basically. I wandered up to the front, and I sat on the steps, you know, the front steps, the rubber steps of the bus. And I was just asking you questions. And then you, you kind of pushed me a bit, and you're like, hey, what are we driving through right now? This is big valley. We just left this big volcano. What are we driving through now? And it took me forever to figure it out, and I couldn't figure it out. But anyway, I was having flashbacks about this, about as we were going to Craters of the Moon. But we saw amazing Pohoihoi there, too, like we saw, you know, in – 2000, whatever, I won't mention it, but 2000, whatever, when I was in high school, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that brings up a point, you know, we've done Yellowstone. We talked about the geology Yellowstone, but we haven't done the end of the story really of Yellowstone, which is really craters of the moon. It's an amazing story. That park is so underrated that I think that we probably need to do some justice to it and do an episode. I would it. agree. I would agree. Which leads nicely, Chris, into what have you been up to this summer? I mean, you've been there 
presumably this summer. This has been, I think, the busiest summer that I've had. I, right after school let out officially, Jenny got certified in Woofer Wilderness First Responder training. And then we were home for, I think, four days. That was just enough time to like regroup and equip and get everything set up for the field course that I teach out West. So took 26 high school seniors, some of our best out West. And um, it was, you know, we went to the places. We talked a lot about them and, and we were pretty much right on with the releases that we had. We released Devil's Tower. We released the Badlands while we were there. Let me interrupt. If you haven't listened to those episodes, go back a few episodes several weeks ago, a couple months ago, and you can listen to those and sort of follow along the field camp that Chris leads and uh, learn about the geology of those areas. Anyway, go, sorry, keep going. Yeah, that's right. So yeah, Badlands, Black Hills, then Devil's Tower. And then from there, we, we head straight to the Tetons. And the Tetons this year, the Tetons never disappoint. I'm in love with them. Oh, there's more to come on that in a little bit. But then we went to Yellowstone. And this was interesting because... Yellowstone recently had these massive, it was a 500 year event, at least this flood event that wiped out the Northern part of the park and the road system and the infrastructure there. Um, you know, there's lots of sad stories that go along with that, but you know, we were able to do everything that we really wanted to do from there, went to Glacier and Glacier National Park is amazing. We did an episode on that a, a long time ago now, yeah. <laughs> um, but Glacier is just a, holy cow. It's an amazing place. And we spent actually all of our time in a place in the southern part of the park called Two Medicine. It's probably the least busy part of Glacier National Park. And Two Medicine is good medicine. I love it. It's absolutely amazing. In fact, one of my former students, she's the captain of the boat on Two Medicine Lake. And so she takes tours every day you know, okay. and she runs a crew yeah, of like yeah, yeah. five cool. people. Um, so she took us out, not the group, but she took my wife and, you know, Andrew, our, our friend and my teaching partner and his wife took us out in the lake at, in the evening and threw a couple lines in the water, caught a couple lake trout. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was nice. really cool. That's awesome. This is all on the, the field course, right? Yep. And then where did you guys go on your family trip? You guys did a family trip after that. Is that right? Yeah. We we're home for three days and then we went to Colorado. Actually, we went to Denver area and uh, we caught a concert at Red Rocks, saw David Gray. It was amazing. And then we got up really early the next day after the concert and we hiked up to the Boulder field, um, which is about 12,900 feet up. And we made camp. And then this is inside Rocky Mountain National Park. And then we uh, we climbed Long's Peak the next next morning, got up at the crack of dawn and climbed that. You and beat, I have done yeah, that together. Yeah, beat the rush. So beat the rush there. That's rivers. great. Yeah, oh. yeah, it was, oh, yeah, it was awesome. That's yeah. great. Um, I, I do remember we had a very rainy, dreary day, but we managed to have our whiskey at the top. That was That was totally good. That was awesome. We did, yeah. I didn't have any of that with us because we took my – so my daughter on this trip got engaged. And so that happened in the Tetons, but I knew it was going to happen. So my soon to be bonus son was with us <laughs> on this trip. Son, I like and, that. uh, That's a good one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, he is not used to this kind of exposure. You remember Long's Peak has a, it's not a hike, you know, that it's got a fair amount of exposure on that. And it was really interesting watching him move <laughs> on the oh, mountain. Yeah. It's uh, that can be a bit intimidating that hike for sure. You got to not look, you, there's some parts where you don't look down too much. That's right. So the answer to, to the question about favorite rock is actually on this hike. I'll come back to that in a little bit. 
then we went to the Tetons. We spent about two weeks in the Tetons. My bonus son, um, he proposed, we hiked up to the base of the middle Teton and made camp. And then at sunset is when he proposed to her. And then the next morning we got up at the crack of dawn and climbed the middle Teton. And yeah, it was awesome. So, um, yeah, we spent like, uh, you know, you talk about like this toothpaste kind of texture in these metamorphosed rocks. I saw a lot of that in the Tetons. I took a lot of pictures of it. I'll share those with you later on. Just absolutely like you look at these rocks, all you can think about is how you want one in your yard. You know, I want to stare at that every single day. They're so unbelievable. They, They really are. Um, and you know, there just, there was a lot of that. That's a cool place. Yeah. That's a uh, great, great summer. So the rock, let's, let's talk about the rock. You said it was the Long's Peak one. Yeah. Let's talk about was this. the best. Yeah. The, it was on Long's Peak. And, and I think you have to remember this. It is this porphyritic granite. So let me interrupt there. A porphyritic granite. Granite is a rock type. It's the light colored intrusive rock. So it's a magma that cooled underneath the surface. The grains are fairly large. You can see them with your naked eye. But porphyritic means it has two different grain sizes. It has really big grains and moderately big grains. And so porphyritic is a term that just says this granite has two different crystal sizes in it, some really big ones. And then the background will be visible pieces of usually quartz and feldspar and biotite, things like that. Yeah. Well said, my young sage. That was well <laughs> Thank done. You. Thank you. Um, <laughs> continue. You may continue now. <laughs> but here's the thing, right? And this is what I want to talk to you about actually, is that in a classic way, a porphyritic rock is thought to form, you said two distinct grain sizes, right? Big grains and then smaller grains within the same rock. Well, rate of cooling is almost always the factor that determines grain size in igneous rock. So if it cools slowly, the minerals have time and they get larger, right? So what you would have with this is it's thought to be that you have this slow, slow cooling, the crystals get big, and then this magma moves closer to the surface where it cools faster, and then the grains get smaller. But the thing is about this is that the big crystals in this, these feldspar crystals, they're not randomly oriented like an igneous rock should be. These have a definite pattern to them. They are all lined up in the same direction. And that's what it makes it so cool. But what are your thoughts on that? Well, I have some thoughts. They're not the most uh, informed, but this is a hot topic in the science of understanding granites right now, like really hot topic. Traditionally, I would say the textbook model would say that those big grains were in a magma, they cooled in a magma, they were growing in a magma, and then the magma started to flow a little bit, you know, it kind of moves from one side of the magma chamber to the other, and that would orient all the grains. And so you can see this, I've even seen this in Washington, D.C., like a lot of the monuments, like the World War II memorial in Washington, D.C., on the National Mall, is made of a porphyritic granite, like the rock is a porphyritic granite, you can see those big feldspar grains are aligned in a certain direction. They're all kind of pointing in one direction. It's really beautiful. The idea would be, the traditional idea would be that the magma is kind of oozing. It's sort of slowly flowing a little bit, and then the grains get aligned by that flow. There's an alternative interpretation that suggests that that's all what we call subsolidus or solid state chemical movement. So sort of fluids flowing through the rock that could crystallize those things. That's a little bit of an oversimplification of the model, but that that's happening after the rock has solidified. And then those grains are growing much later and at lower temperature, not magmatic temperatures, but still high temperatures, you know, 400, 500 degrees centigrade. 
but not magmatic temperatures. And so there's a debate in the literature about that. And actually, this is a huge rabbit trail to go down, but we should probably try and find somebody to interview about this because it's a fascinating problem in geology. It looks to me, I mean, when you look at this rock, it looks like it was flowing as it solidified. So what you said, like theory number one, that's the way it looks. That makes the most sense to me. Totally. Um, and these crystals are huge. Some of them are over an inch long. Yeah. I mean, they're bigger than your thumb. Oh yeah. They're, they're so, and they're pink and they're white and various shades in between. Some of them are orange, bright orange. So they're beautiful. And because it's not particularly common, that was my favorite rock that I saw this summer was easily the Long's Peak granite for sure. Those rocks are so spectacular to see in person. And, you know, you get the feldspars and they kind of glint the cleavage direction, sometimes glints at you if you're walking past. So it looks like it's cliff sides kind of like glinting and shining at you, like little diamonds kind of sparkling out. You go up close and it's a big feldspar that, you know, when it hits a certain crystal face, it flashes at you. It's beautiful. And it's all over too. I mean, you're stepping over all this rock. So when you're walking, your eyes are down. So you don't trip, you know, cause it's really a rocky rough trail. And you, so this rock is just literally, that's all you see all day long. It's really cool. So yeah, that's a, that's an excellent one, Chris, hell of a summer. So let's sort of wrap this up by talking about a few minerals, commonly confused minerals that we could give a few tidbits about how to distinguish minerals that look alike. And we've had, again, just to reiterate, we've had several requests from listeners in this sort of general space of how, you know, we like collecting minerals or we like collecting rocks. We're out there. Help us identify these things because it can be massively confusing. And I can attest to that. Anybody who has gone out looking at rocks can attest to how difficult it can be to identify specific minerals. So we're going to break down two different pairs of things that are commonly confused. This is just off the cuff. We haven't really put a lot of thought into this. Just you have a vast experience with what people get wrong <laughs> in the field, right? You're the expert on here on like what confuses people, what throws people off. So what do you think? What do you, what should we start with? First of all, I want to say that like, if you're interested in this kind of thing, really, and, and some of our listeners clearly are because of the questions that we're getting, then you need to just go uh, get online and buy yourself a hand lens. This little magnifying geology, little hand lens, it folds in on itself to protect itself. You put a little, uh, like a shoestring around it and, and you wear it like a necklace. It'll cost you 10, 15 bucks. You can buy $40 ones, but 10, 15 bucks will get you where you want to go on this. That's right. They're, they're not expensive at all, but they're so helpful in, in doing this kind of field identification of, of minerals and allowing you to see not only just identifying the minerals, actually, but also identifying rocks, classifying rocks as whether it's igneous, metamorphic, or sedimentary. So that'd be my first thing. But the two minerals that I think are confused the most often are, it's a mineral called hornblende. It's a type of amphibole, which is black. And then a mineral that is called shoral, which is a type of tourmaline. Ooh, these are these are tough ones. Uh, yes, these are absolutely tough ones, Chris. Good pair. Yeah, because they commonly occur in granite. Okay, if you look at a granite, granite is mostly light colored. It's going to be loaded with like shades of gray. That's usually the quartz. It's going to have white, which is usually the feldspar. It'll have often pink or orange or this kind of lightly shaded mineral. That's another kind of feldspars in the rock. That's what most of the rock is, this light colored stuff. And then it has these like 
black, dark colored minerals that are kind of peppered throughout it, right? Usually those minerals are going to be biotite, which is super easy to identify because it's this like flaky mica kind of mineral. Okay. Or it'll be hornblende, this black amphibole, or it'll be shoral, this black tourmaline. Those are like the three. Would you agree with me? Am I like, I don't want to oversimplify. I know you're going to object to me because you're like, well, Chris. Uh. <laughs> no, this will be the rare occasion where I do not disagree with you. Absolutely. Those are very commonly confused ones and, and difficult to tell apart. I mean, really quite difficult to tell apart. You and I have seen a lot of both of these in both just rocks that we've seen together uh, out there in the field and also in mineral collecting locations. Like Amphibole is very common. It is one of the 10 rock forming minerals. It's a, has a lot of iron magnesium. So it's black. It has silica oxygen. It has, it's hydrous. So it has a little water in its crystal structure, but it's a garbage bag mineral. Like it has all sorts of different elements in it. And shoral, this black tourmaline is really very similar. It has the most complicated chemical composition of maybe any of the minerals that any undergrads are asked to memorize the chemical formula for. Tourmaline is the most complicated and it's really hard to tell the difference. I struggle with it sometimes, Chris. So how do you go about distinguishing the two? Two things pop to mind. One is like just a visual thing, right? And then the other thing that pops to mind is some sort of physical test that you could do to it. Okay. The visual thing is that Shoral this tourmaline. So can I, let me interrupt there, Chris, and it's S-C-H-O-R-L is the the term for the black tourmaline. Many people will be familiar with the fancy watermelon tourmaline that people will see in the museums, but this is the black version, Shoral. Yeah. The, visually, it often has very prominent vertical striations on the crystal faces. And that's the thing that you can, like with your hand lens, especially you pull that thing out and you, man, you just feel warm and fuzzy when you're like, oh, I get to use my hand lens now. And you pull that thing <laughs> yeah. out, you know, and you, that's you, true. you look like a total nerd, but that's okay. But you see these vertical striations and these striations are these vertical, they look like scratches on the crystal face of the mineral, but these scratches are perfectly parallel. They're clearly not a random thing. This is the way the crystal grew that caused these striations. And they go all the way down the crystal. So they'll run all the way along the whole crystal. Whatever the size of the crystal you're looking at, it'll run all the way down the whole length of that. And we say run down it because Shoral is this kind of long, skinny, pencil-shaped crystal. And so they run parallel to the length of the crystal. So that's the easiest way to see it. The other thing is if you're able to do any kind of physical test on it at all, shoral is extremely hard. It's harder than quartz um, and quartz is extremely hard. So hornblende is quite a bit softer and won't scratch glass. Shoral, get it anywhere near a glass plate and it'll scratch it. So I think to me anyway, those are the ways to quickly spot the difference in the field. So I, there's another one here, Chris, that I tend to rely on quite a bit on this amphibole versus shoral. And it's kind of the mineral associations. Like what else is in the rock? Because amphibole is a very common igneous mineral, meaning it forms in granites. You mentioned granites. It forms in more mafic rocks like gabbros as well. But It'll almost always have biotite in the same rock and a lot of biotite. So the, the rock that contains amphibole will kind of be salt and pepper or even darker than that, like the background color. 
Shoral, we just saw Shoral um, the last day we were in the field. We went to some lithium-bearing pegmatites that are 2.6 billion-year-old lithium-bearing pegmatites that some exploration companies are exploring for as a lithium deposit. And there's Shoral in them, but they don't have biotite in them as well. They have huge K feldspar crystals. They have huge quartz crystals. And Chris, you and I have seen this in both Maine and in the Black Hills of South Dakota. The huge shorals almost always occur with quartz feldspar, maybe some big books of muscovite, the the light colored mica. But those pegmatites, those really fluid rich things that form that's right. tourmaline. That, that's right. And that's the thing you got to emphasize here is that oral, this tourmaline is often associated with pegmatites, which again, this we did an episode on this a long time ago. You can go back and look it up, but it's this extremely coarse grained texture in an igneous rock. So that's another thing too. That's a really good point that if you're dealing with a pegmatite, hornblende is not, a, it's not excluded. But it's if you're going to wage a bet, I would bet it's going to be tourmaline or shoral in that. That's a great way to phrase it, Chris. And that's a, a really powerful tool for identifying minerals is what else is around it. And you got to know your rocks and, you know, take some expertise to build this up. But you, if you look at a rock, you're like, I don't know, is this shoral or tourmaline? Look at the other minerals in the rock. And if you can identify the other minerals in the rock, you'll be able to really make a very educated guess about is that shoral or is that amphibole? Yeah. Well, and that's right. I think too, it brings up another really important like principle in geology is Bowen's reaction series, which deals with mineral assemblages. Minerals tend to only exist with other certain minerals. And so go back to the episode on Bowen's reaction series to get a refresher on that and that kind of explanation on why that's the case. Cause there's a definite reason why certain minerals don't exist together in the same rock. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good set of minerals that are very easy to confuse with one another. Did you have another one or are we going to wrap this yeah, up? Yeah, let's do another one real quick. Just really briefly. I th there's two minerals that are really easily confused because they're the same sort of mineral group is that's potassium feldspar and calcium sodium feldspar are called plagioclase. So plagioclase and potassium feldspar, which you alluded to the big phenocris or the big large grains of potassium feldspar in the Longspeed granite, that's easy to confuse with plagioclase. And there's no one trick to identifying these things or to distinguishing them. Plagioclase generally tends to be white to gray, to dark gray, to like really dark gray on a broken surface. And potassium feldspar tends to be white to pink, like really pink. And so when they're both white, it can be really kind of confusing to distinguish these things. The only really good trick that I have is look at a weathered surface because plagioclase, no matter if it's the really dark, dark, dark gray version, or if it's the sort of lighter gray version, it always weathers to a really chalky white, like brilliant chalky white on the surface. Potassium feldspar or K feldspar doesn't weather that way. It usually weathers to a little bit more like the color that you break it. So if you have a rock that you have a broken surface and a weathered surface, you can usually really easily tell if it's plagioclase or potassium feldspar or if it's both. Many of them will be both, but that plagioclase always weathers to that really chalky white color. I'm going to take that and file it away because that is not the answer I would have given. 
Oh, what would you have given? That's interesting. So for beginning geology students, it's good enough just to recognize it and say, oh, that's a feldspar. But for my geology students, the class you took with me, the upper level class, that's not good enough. You have to distinguish between plagioclase and potassium feldspar. Uh, And so I tell them to look at a cleavage surface of the mineral. Okay, so you have to have a cleavage surface of it, and you roll this around under the light, and when light hits that cleaved surface, it flashes off, right? And what you're looking for are these striations on the cleaved surface. And when you see striations on that, that's plagioclase. Potassium feldspar doesn't have that. So that's that's what I tell my students to do. That's a really good one, Chris. And the other one that you can use along those same lines is the opposite. When you see potassium feldspar, it's divided in half. The cleavage surfaces are divided in half. It's called what's called albite twinning. So those big phenocrysts, the big crystals in the Long's Peak granite, they were divided in half in the cleavage surface, meaning one half would flash at you, the other half would not. If it's divided mostly down the middle, that is diagnostic of potassium feldspar and that is a for sure a potassium feldspar it's a twinning that only occurs whereas the the striation twinning that you see in plagioclase really only occurs in plagioclase so that's a that's a really good one that's actually more diagnostic because you don't need the weathered surface to distinguish the two of them so that's a good one chris excellent excellent one yeah good stuff hey well that's i guess that's a wrap but that's just a brief lead-in to mineral identification, rock classification, like this is a huge thing. And we'll keep banging our heads against this over the next six to nine months because a lot of people are interested in it. So we'll keep having more little tidbits like that. But I think that's enough to kind of get started as you're out there in the world, walking around, looking at rocks and you see some minerals. This will give you some things to look for and uh, some little keys to take note of to help identify minerals. You know, we hit a lot of geology today too. So just kind of more like subtle things in geology, I think. Yeah. And those are, so, they're important, yeah. important stuff. So Chris, that's a wrap. Uh, that's you right. can visit us on our new website, planetgeocast.com. All the social medias, Planet Geocast is where we're at. And uh, stay tuned to this space. We've got some more episodes coming out weekly and some exciting stuff outside of the episode feed, but you'll get news updates within the episode feed. So stay tuned to that for our upcoming project as well. That's right. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.